Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 2. Today's guest is Lisa Valinsky, a writer based in New England who focuses on local food, farmers markets, and simple living. I began following Lisa's vlog several years ago, and we connected based on our mutual interests, most recently in the fact that we became parents. I was interested in talking with Lisa for the podcast after seeing her get a plot at a local community garden this summer with her and her family, and was curious about her successes and failures with that venture. We talked about the garden plot, but also about her background working on small farms, managing farmers markets, and what the local food movement is doing good at, and what is lacking in her region of the country. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes of the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. This will help others find the podcast and gives me feedback on what y'all enjoy. You can also find me at Instagram at the Garden Path Podcast or by email at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. Okay, looks like we're good. So, all right, thanks again for uh, agreeing to come on and chat with me. So, I guess we'll get started if you'll just introduce yourself and kind of uh, give a little information about where you're from. Sure, thanks for having me. My name is Lisa Valinsky, and I write at lisavalinsky.com. I write a blog about simple living and local food. I live in Connecticut with my husband, our young daughter, who's almost one, and our dog, Maple. All right. Yeah, I like, uh, I've always been attracted to um, that area of the country for its local food uh, movement. I feel like it's kind of that in the Pacific Northwest are probably the two main sources of local food. And so I'm always envious of you guys, especially in the summer when we're, we're not growing so much because it's so hot. So um, I've definitely been interested and I love all the photos you post on Instagram of, of the farmer's markets you visit. So oh, it's really fun, fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I guess talk about that local food and farming. How did you, what are your beginnings into that and how did you become interested in local food? I would say it started in college. I was a vegetarian doing, trying some vegan food and really into cooking. And um, I decided the summer before my senior year to stay up at school. This was in upstate New York and spend the summer. Um, I got a waitressing job that was part-time and I needed something else. And I was at the town's farmer's market and there was a small sign at a little organic farm stand and they said they needed help for the summer. And I approached them and got the position and that pretty much jump-started my interest in local food. Um, I spent three days a week on this farm. It was organic, but um, this was back in the year 2000. So the certified organic movement was just starting. And yeah, (laughs) They um, they practiced organically and grew all kinds of veggies and apples and berries, and they had chickens for eggs. And, yeah, really, you know, weeded, harvested, just got right into it and uh, loved it. Just loved learning where food came from, and I learned about uh, the politics behind a lot of it. And, yeah, that's where it started. Yeah, I uh, you mentioned that you're 2000. And- Back when I was in college, I was in a local, a little environmental group, and that was the first time I had heard about organic as well. And, you know, I definitely 
was interested interested in the environment up to that, but I hadn't I didn't know anything about organic, about the food that where it came from, factory farms, any of that um, until until that group. And I remember trying to talk to people about organic food on campus, and they, you know, it was definitely like what. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean? Is it is it okay to eat? Is it, you know, it was hard to explain to people what it was, but, and even finding any organic food in the supermarket was so hard to find back then. And it's just amazing what, you know, 16 years later, how it's changed so much. Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember my college had like on the hot food bar stand, it wasn't local, but they'd have kale and it was so sad looking. It would just be overcooked and wilted and People oh, didn't really eat it, and now kale's this big thing, and it's just funny to think back to that that time. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a lot of jobs on on this particular farm. Was there anything that you particularly loved? Like, what was your favorite favorite part? On this farm, um, I think working the farmers market. Um, so this this farm was a small organic farm and um yeah I'd work a few days a week out in the field and then I'd try to work the farmers market in Saratoga Springs on Saturdays um but from there a few years later I got a job working with kids at another farm called Hawthorne Valley and that's a certified organic and biodynamic farm also in upstate New York about an hour away and um I ended up working at this particular place on and off for many years, actually. Um, just kept going back. It, it reeled you in and you loved it. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, just So yeah. I guess what when you were working at these farms, what um, catapulted you into learning more about the local farm uh, and local food movement and interacting with your customers and how did they help you um, want to, to know more and to see, to see this thing through a little bit further? Yeah, I think the main thing for me in all of it was the education piece and teaching people part of it is teaching people where their food comes from, but also teaching people about different foods. So, um, you know, I grew up knowing about butternut squash, maybe acorn squash, but now I know about all kinds of squash. So just educating people that there's so many different foods we can try and they all taste different. They'll, you know, all kinds of heirloom tomatoes. Um, that to me is really exciting, just the variety and exposing ourselves to foods that aren't commonly found in the supermarket, but that are in, in time, they are becoming more um, mainstream, I feel like. So yeah, I think, I think the education piece. Did you get a lot of people that were hesitant to try new things without knowing how to cook them? Were you able to tell them how, how to, you know, maybe roast the vegetables or cook them up in a particular way? Yeah, it was something I had to learn too. So any of these jobs I've had where I've worked on farms, usually you get sent home with a bunch of food at the end of the day. And I learned through trial and error. So yeah, a lot of roasting vegetables and steaming things. And and that was nice too, was just feeling like I actually could 
explain to people what to do with them and not just, you know, when I was in college, I'd ask the farmer cause I wasn't cooking so much and, um, and yeah, just being able to, to teach people what to do with this stuff so they'd actually go home and use it. Yeah. I, um, have you heard of cashaw squash before? I haven't. Um, it's a big green and white striped, um, gourd and, um, well, I call it a gourd. It's not really a gourd. It is a squash. And But I remember seeing it for sale at um, big garden centers. And I would decorate my house with it for in October and November. And I didn't realize it was edible until I saw it at a farmer's market. And oh. the it was so cool because I saw it and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And he's like, oh, it is the best squash. You can roast it and you can put it in smoothies. You can do so much with it. And it was. It was really good. And you could even make you know, your typical zucchini bread, that kind of thing, if you, you know, slice it up. So I thought that was pretty cool to see something that, you know, might be mainstream uh, out there and that people probably really don't know the name of and how to even do anything with it that it's even, (laughs) you can even actually cook with it. So that was probably one of the cool things for me was being able to to talk to someone at the farmer's market and actually, they actually knew what to do with it. Mm -hmm. so I didn't, I've tried to grow it and I haven't had any success, but oh. <laughs> the, the squash bugs like to get my plants. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so from those particular jobs and um, how had that translated to other jobs in your life and starting your blog? Um, cause your blog is about local food and, um, farming and simple living. How has that influenced you? Yeah, I guess, um, well, my husband and I, soon after we met, well, after maybe a year together, we moved up to Vermont, and um, Vermont is a has a very big local food scene, um, one of the biggest I've seen as far as support for farmers and the local food businesses. And we moved up there really thinking we were going to live off the land and buy a little place and garden and homestead. And that's when I started my blog was to write all of our stories from up there, from hiking stories to um, I learned how to sprout my own seeds in my kitchen. And we got a winter CSA share that I documented. That was really the start of my blog. Um, And things turned when we got through a winter and it was incredibly cold and we were pretty far from family and decided, you know, this is a great place to visit, but I don't think we want to live here for the long haul. So we moved and out of all places, we wound up in New York city where we had friends and family and uh, some connections and had a, um, a sublet that we were able to live in for a while And in New York City, I got a job working for Green Market, which is a big farmer's farmer's market um, network. And there are over 55 farmer's markets in the city run by this organization. And so even though I was in this enormous city, I was able to take a piece of kind of like nature and quiet and um, delve into it there too and educate people. And, um, and I talked about 
that in my blog too, as we made this shift with our lifestyle. But I tried to um, keep things in my life as consistent as I could. And it was a really incredible opportunity. And um, so you went from Vermont where everybody is probably eating fairly local to New York city where, yeah, there is those niches of the local food movement, but there's also probably plenty of people eating, you know, the standard American diet. Um, How was, were you still kind of preaching to the choir or were you actually able to reach out and talk to other people about organic food and growing your own, uh, growing your own food is, or was it a lot, a lot, lot more difficult? I think it was kind of a mix. There were a lot of people who already believed in the local food, food movement and supporting local farmers, but a big push in that job was reaching people who were on food stamps actually, and showing them how they could, use their food stamps to buy food at the market and find affordable food at the market, which mm-hmm. isn't not that it isn't easy, but you have to know what you're looking for and um, teaching people how to cook, you know, some of these squashes and things people might not be familiar with. So yeah, I would say it was a mix in New York city of kind of the diehard farmer's market shoppers and then people who were just passing through and happened to be walking down a block where there was a farmer's market and I might have a sample I was making of some kind of salad and, you know, could teach people about Swiss chard or um, kinds of things like that. So, I mean, since you're talking about food stamps, how difficult is it for people to buy stuff at the farmer's market on food stamps? It depends on the market. This particular set of farmer's markets, almost everyone at the time, I think maybe 50 or 51 of them had um, these tokens people could buy at the farmer's market and they could exchange their food stamps for these tokens that the farmers would collect. And there were often extra incentives for people like, you know, buy $10 worth, get an extra $5 for free. Okay. Um, programs like that. So just to really try to get people to, to spend their dollars there. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. That was a big, big piece of it. I don't know nationwide. I think it depends very, you know, market to market. I go a lot to a market up in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I know they have a program that's similar where people can go to the information stand at the farmer's market and Mm -hmm. swipe their card and get tokens to use. That's really cool. I, I need to check on mine. I don't know if that's even available here or not. It's a, it's a pretty small market, but it's been involved. It's uh, been going for several years. So, mm-hmm. but um, that's interesting. I, I, that's one aspect I think that gets fallen through the cracks is those who can't afford maybe to buying organic and, um, not necessarily just organic, even just fresh fruits and vegetables that mm-hmm. I think they skip out on at the grocery store just because they feel like, well, I might as well not do it if I can't buy it organic or what am I going to do with, you know, this chard and some carrots? Is it going right. to feed my whole family? So mm-hmm. um, that's that's good that they're actually trying to to, <laughs> to make that available and, and uh, user-friendly, I guess. Yeah, yeah, just uh... – 
a lot of elderly and all kind, you know, different populations. And yeah, just trying to educate people and, you know, people who may not speak English as a first language. So things like that. Yeah. There's more inclusive, inclusive, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, so you're vegetarian. Have you been vegetarian your whole life? Not my whole life. I became a vegetarian at the end of high school. And then I was actually vegan in college for a couple of years and I'm a vegetarian now. So it's been, it's been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, how have you, I guess, um, developed your recipes over the years? Have you just started making things that you know you'll like and then kind of branching out from there? You know, I think, well, some of it started just based on budget actually. So when I think back to just after college, I was cooking for myself. I had cooked a little bit in college, but not that much or that well. And I did a program. Um, I don't know if you know of AmeriCorps. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I did a year of AmeriCorps, like a kind of community service program. And we got a living stipend that it was maybe ten or $12,000. And I needed to buy groceries. So I would just try to, you know, figure out what was cheap. And so I bought all kinds of grains. I would go, there was a really great food co-op. I was actually in Vermont at the time and they had pretty good prices or I'd go to the regular grocery store and buy big bags of rice and I'd get dried beans and I'd try things like millet and um, I don't know that I bought quinoa back then if that was such a big thing, but just different kinds of grains I'd never heard of before. Kasha, like buckwheat, um, yeah. that were pretty affordable and any kind of veggies that were reasonably priced. So lots of cabbage and greens and things. And I would just make these huge batches of stuff. So this was before internet was that big and I'd like cook up a big batch of rice and I'd cook up a batch of beans and I'd top it with salsa and cheese and some veggies and eat that for like five days at a time. (laughs) So um, that's kind of how it started. And then from there, I, I got more into cooking and just would experiment a little bit more. So, but I feel like my cooking is very utilitarian in a way. Like I, I try to keep things really simple. I don't like really crazy recipes where I have to go out and buy all these ingredients I don't already have on hand. Like I want to just be able to make something out of the food I already have at home. Yeah. So. Yeah. I have a few vegetarian uh, cookbooks cause I was vegetarian for about, about three years almost. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was one of my complaints was, was these certain recipes would need just this one thing. And then you'd flip through and it wouldn't be used again very often. And um, definitely, you know, I'd try to substitute something if I could or eliminate it if it was possible. But that was probably one of my frustrating things about some of the vegetarian cookbooks. But yeah, I'm, I was like you. I like simple. I'm I'm a fan of rice and beans and mm-hmm. something on top. It's, it's very easy. So, yeah, one pot meals and, yeah, easy. I, I love to cook, but I also don't want to make it my whole afternoon, I guess. So, <laughs> yes. I like the idea of um, everybody, you know, posting their Sunday prepping for the week, their their meal planning, um, and that that probably would work in 
in different time of, of my life, but right now is not so great. So yeah. Yeah. But I like that idea too. So, yeah. Um, so you were, became a new mom last year and how has it been, I guess, incorporating, you know, whole food living and simplicity and having a new one, little one at home and trying to and change all of that uh, into your life. Yeah, it's been a big year. Um, I, yeah, I think about, I guess, kind of just making our daughter a part of the process as much as possible. And she's still really young. So I th- that'll be easier over the next couple of years. But even yesterday, we went apple picking and we just went to a local farm and went out and brought our daughter and you know, she was reaching for apples and my husband helped her pick one. And it's just a small thing, but, you know, we got home and I made sure to give her that apple with her dinner. Just even like to start some of the, like, you know, the food association. Yeah. And you know, that we can like grow our own food or cook our food and how it gets from you know, seed to table. But um, yeah, I, to be honest, I did a lot of jarred baby food the first two months. (laughs) um, I am doing the stay at home mom thing for right now, which has been great, but it's, I couldn't, you know, I tried making baby food and got really overwhelmed by it. And I just would go out and buy stuff unless I had things that I had already made that she would be able to eat. But um, mm-hmm. once she was able to eat more solids that she could chew on, um, now yeah, I'm really into, I'm really into just as much as possible. So um, you know, if we're having quinoa and beans and spinach, she's going to have that too. And it's so it's just really fun to watch. And I'm just trying, you know, trying to think of ways to get her involved in cooking right now. That's basically just giving her pots and pans to play with. And yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I definitely, I think you're going to see for at least in the next year, especially that it'll be a lot, definitely a lot more fun and exploratory. Um, definitely finding that Mm -hmm. with, uh, with mine is, and he, he's not necessarily wanting to eat the things he picks, but he has fun going out to see the tomato or the peppers and, and carrying like I picked an okra yesterday and he wanted to carry it. So that was fun. Now yeah. eating is a different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's in the toddler phase of, of being picky. So. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm getting as many types of foods as I can in. Cause I'm sure that'll change over the next year or two. Yeah. It's, I'm definitely envious of, of the people I see where their toddlers and kids are eating like, eating the squash and the corn and these great things. I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> I've <Yeah>. tried. <laughs> so, and so you yeah. also um, had a community garden plot this summer and how was, how did that go in the beginning versus what in the reality at the end? Yeah. So um, it's now I can look back and laugh at it. I was pretty hard on myself at the time. So, I did some research in the spring about community gardens. We live in an apartment and have a patio um, that doesn't get great sun. So at first I thought, oh, we can just do some potted tomatoes and basil 
keep it really easy. And then I found out our town has a community garden plot. And right before sending the check, I said to my husband, maybe we shouldn't do this. I don't know if this is a good idea. And he was like, no, no, let's just do it. Let's, let's try it. We'll see what happens. And I had, I had envisioned like our baby sitting like on a blanket in the garden and I'm busy weeding. <laughs> right. <laughs> Idealist view. Yeah. So um, we get our plot. The summer was, we live in Connecticut and it's usually in the eighties in the summer, but for, it was in the nineties, most of the summer here. And this plot is great. It's on a really beautiful historic farm, but it gets, and it gets direct sunlight all day, which is great, but it's really hot. So Mm -hmm. even the first day we went to this nursery and we picked out transplants and seeds and we get to our plot and it's swelteringly hot and we have the baby with us and it was just like mad rush. Like I was envisioning like, Oh, well like, you know, just get all the weeds out, you know, till it, whatever we need to do and clear it first. And then we'll, we just stuck everything in the ground. It was like mad rush (laughs) to plant the garden. So we planted everything in weeds. It just, yeah, I, I had high hopes and within a week, um, the weeds just got out of control. It happened really quickly. And we were pretty into it the first month or two. We would go a couple times a week and go and garden, uh, water it and try to weed as much as possible. Go really early in the morning, like 6, 6.30 before it got too hot. But um, it was just really hard to keep up with. So um, I had high hopes, but in the end a bunch of stuff died, but we did get, you know, we got a lot of Swiss chard in the beginning. We were able to freeze tomato sauce that we made from our tomatoes and we had basil. Yeah. So in the end we had some stuff come out of it, but it was, uh, it was pretty hard with a new baby and the heat of the summer. So I don't know how you do it in Texas. It must get (laughs) really hot in the summer. It does. It's it's pretty brutal. And sometimes I just like, why am I out here right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but things have to get done. And I'm I just like, if I need, if I want anything, it has to be worked. So, and yeah, definitely something I've had struggles with myself last, I mean, last summer, we did not, our garden was weeds. So there was a few things planted in the spring of 2015, but whatever was planted, was what survived and nothing else got planted or managed for the summer. So mm-hmm. don't feel bad. It's very, it's a hard thing um, trying to, <laughs> to have a baby and juggle that. And I definitely, I mean, the people with multiple kids, I guess they've, they've learned their lessons a few times that they know how to do <laughs> to balance it all. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. So yeah. And I know next summer we'll go back to the pots for, you know, some potted tomatoes and herbs and keep it really simple because and just keep it in the backyard. <laughs> the, yeah. yeah, that was the hard part was having to drive to the plot was um, right. just a bad challenge. Yeah, so. Um, so, I, so you're going to do pots for next summer. Do you think you'll go back to a community garden in, in the future? Maybe. I guess it depends on our living situation and – you know, in the future, if we buy a house, which we'd like right. to do one day, um, we'd love to have even a small yard that we could just have a garden right in the back. That's 
that's the dream. So, and plant some apple trees and different types of berry bushes, you know, blueberries, blackberries, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, that would be, get it kind of a little place set up. But yeah, in the next couple of years, either do something small in the backyard or possibly do a community garden again. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. See, what I like about this uh, is that you don't have to go all out to be a gardener and that you can do little mm-hmm. things and enjoy just what little bit you can do. And I mm-hmm. think that that makes people gardeners, whether they're planting just a rose or a tomato or they've got, you know, 10 acres. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like uh, about gardening. It's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Um so I just want to go right back into um, local food and farming and the farmer's markets one second. Because um, I guess what really stuck with me was um, the access issue and, and having being more inclusive. Do you see any other gaps in um, the local food movement, especially in your area, that are niches that need to be filled? Or do you think it's pretty well-rounded already? Hmm. That's a good question. I do think, I mean, it's interesting because in the summer, I I like to buy local produce as much as I can and, and anything local, you know, honey, maple syrup, breads, things like that. But a lot of it's very pricey. And, you know, I shop at the farmer's market, but if I can find, like, we have a really great farm stand that's a few minutes from us and their prices are significantly lower than farmers markets. Um, and, but other than driving past it, I wouldn't have found out about it any other way. And I guess just, I don't know for people who want to access local food and their prices are even better than the supermarket and it's really fresh and it's, yeah, they're really, really great stuff. Um, I just, I guess one thing is communication or getting the word out to people who are Mm -hmm. looking for cheaper food options and don't feel like, oh, well, I can't afford the stuff at the farmer's market, so I guess I can't afford local food or organic food, things like that. Um, But also, we live in a really rural area, and... I don't know if there are people who don't have cars or just aren't as mobile. Um, you know, we can get in our car and go drive up to the, the farmer's market. But, you know, for somebody who is doesn't have a car, um, it's yeah, a challenge. That, yeah, that's a challenge, too. I know that's a big problem in a lot of cities, but we're not really we're, – we're about half an hour from Hartford, Connecticut, and half an hour from Springfield, Massachusetts – and yeah, there, I imagine there are some food deserts there with just people not even able to get things besides food at the gas station or convenience stores. So I know that's a common problem all over, but yeah, I think just prices is a big one, you know, for me to go to the farmer's market and kale, a bunch of kale is $3 or $4. And then a farm stand, it's only $1.50. Right. I'm going to pick the farm stand, but yeah. So, yeah, I think that's definitely my problem too. And um, 
I haven't been to my farmer's market lately, mostly because, you know, we have the garden and hmm. I just haven't made the time to go there. But um, I definitely know that there can be three different people and all of them have different prices. So if you go to the one first off, you may pay two or $3 more for something than if you went a couple, you know, stands down and found, found, you know, the kale for a dollar 50 versus three. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess part of that also is, you know, I'm always curious, like, okay, what really goes on at the farm and what are their practices? And you can only know that by be talking to these people constantly, or if you happen to be allowed to visit, I suppose too. Um, yeah. I think that's one thing I've also been skeptical about with uh, like eggs, especially is what's, are you really free range or, you know, this or that or. Um, oh, I know. Right. I, I've wondered that too. Or are you not buying these at the supermarket and just right. selling them as local eggs? I don't know for sure. Yeah. yeah. That, we talked a lot about that um, in New York city, just transparency and, um, green market who I'd worked for, they do farm inspections and they had a whole team of people who every couple of years would go visit farms to make sure that they were growing what they said they were growing and would check their invoices and seed records. And that gave customers a lot more, um, confidence in what they were buying. Right. But that's not, common I don't think and it's not the case everywhere so right that's also why I like buying from some of the farm stands I found is because I can drive down the driveway and see their big gardens in the back right and just um have it's a little more, more faith that it's their stuff <laughs> and that right. they're growing it you know maybe not organically but it's probably not being you know loaded down with chemicals to be shipped across the country Right, right. There is, that is definitely a uh, a balance, you know, trying to figure out like organic versus not, and yeah. deciding, you know, what's better, local or organic, and it's hard, yeah. Especially with a kid now, too. I think about, you know, I, I don't try to go crazy over everything, but I do like to keep in mind the dirty dozen with what I'm buying yes. for her. So, you know, I'm going to buy organic potatoes and spinach, and you know, the th- especially things that we buy regularly, but right. it gets, it's not cheap. So, you know, also keeping a list of things that are low in pesticides that we can buy frequently because we can't, you know, we don't buy that much organic really. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. I, I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess we'll just wrap up if you can tell people where they can find you. You've been doing a whole lot of great blog posts in the last several months about simple living um, and farmer's markets. And um, some. Uh, you have a great newsletter too that I really like that you put out. Um, can you tell people where to find all, of, follow, find all of that and where to follow you? Sure. Yeah. You can find me at lisavalinsky.com. It's V as in, v as in Victor, A-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Um, and I use that as my handle for all of my social media outlets. So um, Instagram's my favorite. I try to post every day on there. Um, and I'm also active on Pinterest, Twitter, and Facebook. So, oh. yeah. And um, I have a little local food guide that shares a lot of, like, quick tips on how to cook local food. 
and time savers. So um, I can share a link if you want for your show notes to where listeners can get that, that guide yeah, for free. Great. Okay. Yeah, I definitely have enjoyed that. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about your experiences uh, with the local food movement and uh, your gardening. And I hope maybe in a couple of years when you get settled, we could talk again about uh, establishing your, your garden and how, how that's going. So thanks, Misty. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks cool. for having Thank me. You. No problem.